you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. You knew my hopeless situation. I felt like a failure, like I could never measure up to the person that I should be. The drugs and alcohol were what I lived for. I was in a really bad place. I didn't think I would survive. This was the most terrifying thing that had ever happened to me. I was crying out for the pain to stop. You knew that I was ready to walk away from you. 2,000 years ago, you left your home in heaven. You did it to rescue us. You lived the perfect life. And on the day we call Good Friday, you died an innocent death. I know that you rose again from the dead Easter Sunday. I know that what you achieved changed history forever. I know the story of Jesus. I know the story of Jesus. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Good uh, morning, everyone. Good uh, resurrection morning, everyone. Um, Early on in the the life and history of the church, there would be a custom, and in the Greek churches, it would be one that would happen early Easter morning. The first thing you did or saw or said, when you saw each other and you had all the morning hair, uh, you would go like, he is risen, and the response would be, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. Now, can we try that, all right? Like, morning hair's gone now, you've spoken to a few people, he is risen, he's risen indeed, Hallelujah. Now, those words that you just said are words of belief. Uh, They're words of conviction, aren't they? They're words that express something actually really very unusual. We just said that a dead man is alive. Hallelujah. That a dead man who was crucified is alive. And this morning as we said that, that is belief. But uh, you don't need me to tell you that belief is not always an easy thing. In fact, in Australia, belief has been declining. Belief that Jesus has been raised from the dead has been steadily declining since 1970. When I was a little kid, around 80% of people would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Today, that number, uh, we're going to see it revealed in the census results pretty soon, but it's likely that it will now be under 50% of all Australians will believe that. And of those 50% of Australians who still say, yes, we're Christian, 
it's something like 25% of them are actually involved in the life of a church community. And even less of them are really involved and would say, yes, my faith that Jesus is risen from the dead is a really important thing to me. Uh, in fact, uh, there was an interesting survey done a couple of years ago asking uh, average Australians, do you believe that Jesus actually existed as a historical person? You know what the result was? Uh, 49% of Australians today say that, no, I don't think Jesus ever even existed as a historical person. Uh, doubt is on the rise, and it's not just uh, in the world, but doubt actually within the church as well. Uh, if you are a committed Christian here this morning, you will almost certainly have someone in your family, someone of your friends, someone that you know, who has been going through what they call a process of deconstruction, of uh, losing their religion. Doubt is a very big deal. So this Easter Sunday, of all days in the Christian calendar, I want to look at doubt. And uh, as you got the prelude from, from the kids, we're going to look at Thomas. And we're con going to consider his doubts. And I want us to see these three things this morning, which actually I think are really encouraging. Number one, doubt is normal. Number two, doubt is good. And number three, doubt has a destination. All right? So three things. Doubt is normal. Doubt is good. Doubt has a destination. Now, firstly, doubt is normal. Now, uh, when, we, when, when Megan was asking the kids and saying, like, who are we looking at? It was, she said, doubting, and then, oh, Thomas, doubting Thomas. Now, Thomas is the one who universally throughout all of history now is known as the doubting one, doubting Thomas. But I want to say to you this morning that I don't think that's very fair, and I'll tell you why. My reason is, is that all of the other disciples got to experience Jesus coming in their midst. And that happened on Easter Sunday evening, this evening within the calendar of the Christian church. So the, the disciples are gathered in the room, we're told. They're gathered there, they're afraid because they're worried about the Jewish leadership coming to get them. And with good cause, they've seen what the Jewish leadership is capable of doing. So the doors are locked and they're in the room and they are confused. They're confused and they're frightened. They're, they're frightened because of the Jewish leadership. They're confused because um, they know that Jesus' body is gone. Uh, Peter and John have seen that the tomb's empty. And then some women have come back and said, he's alive. He's appeared to us. And he said, he's, he's alive. And this is what we're told in Luke chapter 24. It says, but their words seemed like nonsense. To them, they did not believe the women. So on that first Easter, they're gathered there in, the, uh, in that upper room. They're frightened, they're afraid, and then we're told that suddenly Jesus appears to them. He's, and he says, peace to you. And he, they get to spend a considerable amount of time with him. Uh, one of the other... Um, Accounts tells us that he, he says, I'm hungry, give me a bit of fish, and they give him boiled fish. <laughs> After your resurrection, you're going to have broiled fish. But anyway, there they go. They have fish, and this Easter hope blazes in them. He shows them his hands and his sides and the nail pins, and we're told they believe, and they're full of joy. But Thomas wasn't there. 
Where was he? We don't know. We're not told. Um, some people see this as in a negative connotation. Thomas was kind of removing himself from the community, so he missed out. And they sort of say, make sure you don't miss a church Sunday. You never know what's going to happen. And Thomas missed it. Um, other people say, no, Thomas, people grieve differently. You know, Jesus is dead. Thomas has been with Jesus since the very beginning. He spent three years with this man, seeing all that the disciples saw. He has had first-hand experience of Jesus. He loves Jesus. Jesus is dead and he's grieving. And we all know we grieve differently and maybe Thomas has gone somewhere to grieve alone. We don't actually know, but we do know that he misses it. And when Thomas eventually shows up, the others tell him, Jesus is alive. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And you can imagine them, you know, they're, they're talking away and Thomas is like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great for you guys. Really good that you've all convinced yourself of, a, of just a fantasy land that you're living in. Not me. Not me. I am not going to buy this. And I think it's unfair to single Thomas out as the doubter because everybody else didn't believe until they saw Jesus. So why would Thomas be any different? Why is Thomas the doubter? But there you go. So my first point, doubt is still normal. It's normal. This claim that we repeated this morning, that Jesus is alive, is not normal. Right? This is not normal human experience that a dead guy raises to life and appears to people. It's not normal. If you're not a Christian here today or you're listening online and you're not a Christian, doubt is normal. And you say like, really? So this dead guy rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago and you guys are really still caught up in that? I mean, it sounds like a scam to me. I mean, how do you believe that? Like someone told you and you just believe it? Seems pretty like pretty big stretch to me. Maybe you think that and that's normal and that's good. And maybe you're a believer as well and you think, um, well, I know that we go through the risk, but how do I know that's true? And maybe there are times as a Christian when you, you say, I don't know about this. You know, I know if I was a kid, my parents taught me, or I've become a part of a Christian community, and I know that's what everyone believes, but, but how do I know? I, I want to believe, and there's actually, it's normal, because there's this one account where there's a guy who meets Jesus, and, and Jesus says, just believe. And he says, I know I do believe, but help my unbelief, this father actually says to Jesus. And some of us as Christians, we say the same thing. I do believe, but help my unbelief. So first thing I want to say to you, doubt is normal. It's normal. And I'll tell you why it's not only normal, but it's good. Second point, it's good because truth matters. Doubt is good because truth matters. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Um, a few years ago now, I was walking in Montana uh, in America on a hiking thing. I was hiking and I went to a very, very unusual place. It was called the Church Universal and Triumphant in the middle of nowhere. Now, when it, they call themselves the Church Universal and Triumphant, this is no church. This is no church. This is a new age cult. And um, I, I think we've got a picture of it. There it is. It looks a bit different now when I visited. I think that's an older photo. And um, the Church Universal and Triumphant was founded by a woman called Elizabeth Clare Prophet. I think we've got a picture of her too in the, we might not, but anyway. 
I think we do have a picture, don't we? There she is. Yeah. Now, in the 1970s, Elizabeth Clare Prophet was convinced that she was the only voice of the divine. So Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you name it, they spoke through her. And, uh, and she was very persuasive and very eloquent, and she convinced a whole bunch of very rich Californians uh, that she actually was um, God's revelation on earth. And it all, it sort of tickled along through the 1970s, but in 1987, she had a revelation that the world was going to be destroyed by nuclear war in 1989. And she said to these Californians, you now need to sell up everything and come. And they did. They sold up everything, gave her millions of dollars, moved with her to Montana, and then they constructed this incredibly complex series of fallout shelters, nuclear fallout shelters. They went underground and uh, they waited for the great nuclear holocaust of 1989. Now, uh, when I was there, um, there's still about 30 years after the construction of those bunkers, there's still a couple of hundred people there. And, um, and I dropped in and the, and the receptionist at the, this place was very polite and very nice. She was still a true believer. She showed me around and I wanted to know, well, what about the nuclear war of 1989? I said, oh, no, 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 Elizabeth was right. Because we all prayed and the nuclear war never happened. She was completely right. And so these people still living in these bunkers 30 years later. Now, I'll tell you what I think. They got sucked in, right? They got sucked in by a charismatic person who had a charismatic uh, ability to speak to them in a way that was, uh, was, they wanted to believe something, so they sold all their money and they followed her. They got sucked in. They got scammed. Now, why I say doubt is a good thing is because skepticism is a good thing. Truth matters. There's a lot of people who peddle lies for a profit. I mean, I don't know how many calls you get <laughs> on your phone these days like, of people calling you from all over the world trying to tell you lies for a profit. It's everywhere. And skepticism and doubt is a good thing. It stops us getting sucked in. Now, Thomas is a realist. He's a skeptic. That's a good thing. And he goes, I'm not going to get sucked in. But the question that I would have loved to ask Thomas in that week was like, Thomas, if Jesus wasn't really resurrected from the dead, what has actually happened? And I tell you what he wouldn't have said, and he wouldn't have said like 49% of Australians, oh, Jesus never existed. Uh, Thomas wasn't going to say that. Um, and in fact, that is actually a very ignorant thing to say. And my apologies to you if you actually believe today that Jesus never existed. But a couple of years ago, there was a historian, John Dixon, and he said, uh, it was coming up to Christmas, and he said, look, if you can find me a single historian anywhere in the world who will tell you and say it publicly that Jesus never existed, I will eat the first page of Matthew's gospel with my Christmas pudding. And, uh, and he put it out. He said, just one, anywhere in the world. You know what happened? He didn't have to eat the Bible with the Christmas pudding. Because there was not a single historian in the whole world who would actually say Jesus never existed. It's just historically so implausible as to be ridiculous. There's too many accounts of Jesus outside the Bible. Thomas and we know that Jesus existed. He definitely existed. But Thomas also knew that while Jesus was alive, he wasn't alive anymore. 
He'd been crucified by the Roman army, and the Roman army were experts in what they did. They were professionals. They knew about crucifixions. They crucified thousands of people. You, you can read accounts of it. No one ever survived a crucifixion. There were a couple of occasions when they tried to save him. They realized they'd crucified the wrong guy. Too late. You're not coming back from that. So, so Thomas knew that Jesus had been crucified. He knew that he was dead. Um, he knew it had happened. He knew it wasn't a fabrication because he was in the inner circle. So he knew they hadn't just come up with a plan to fake all this. So what did Thomas actually think had happened then? They weren't making it up. Maybe he thought of like mass hallucinations. I don't think he did. I actually think where Thomas' mind was going was going to ghosts. It's a ghost. I'm sure actually in my own view that it is. And you know how I know that? Because when Thomas says to the, to the other disciples, he says, all right, I tell you when I'll believe, you show me, and I'm not even going to look at it, I'm going to put my fingers into the nail parts, I'm going to poke my finger into the side where the spear punctured his chest cavity, then I'll believe. And I think Thomas is saying because ghosts don't have bodies. So I reckon he thinks a ghost has showed up to them and they've all been freaked out and they've convinced that Jesus is alive, but I'm not going to do it until I touch him, until I feel him. Now, I should say that if, um, if you were fabricating Christianity, it would have been a very silly thing to have this level of skepticism surface in one of the key leaders of the early church, right? You, you wouldn't do it because Jesus has been telling them for years that he's, well, at least for months, that he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he's going to be raised to life on the third day. Thomas is like, it's gone all over the top. He's like, no, nah, I won't believe until I see it and touch it. Now, is this, bad, is this doubt bad? I don't think so. I said, I think doubt can be good. I think the skepticism is good. Thomas was there. He understood that dead men don't rise from the grave. And so he goes, if I'm going to believe this, then I am going to see it. And you know, the same is true of us. Uh, one theologian, a guy called R.C. Sproul, he writes this, and I think he's dead on. He says, says this, faith is not supposed to be based on a leap into the dark through, mindless, through a mindless act of credulity. Instead, it should be an acquiescence to the truth. That which is not true is never worthy of trust or belief. Truth matters. Let, let me read that last bit again. That which is not true is never worthy of our trust or belief. In other words, if it's not true that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today, then it is, the Christian faith is worthless. If it's not true, we shouldn't believe it, right? We shouldn't get sucked in. If it's not true, just get rid of the whole thing. In fact, that's actually biblical. Um, so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, and if Christ hasn't been raised... Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Did you hear that? If this is a hoax, if this is a scam, then 
If you're a Christian here today, then you're to be pitied more than anybody else on the face of the planet. You've been sucked in. It's much worse than going to live in a, a nuclear fallout shelter for 30 years of your life. Uh, you've been sucked in much worse than that. You believed a dead guy is alive. So the stakes are really high. Thomas's doubt is not bad. It's actually good because he knows that if Jesus is alive, then his life will have to change. And he wants to be sure that he is. And so um, this actually, this tickles my sense of humor. Um, have you ever been in a situation, maybe in the schoolyard, and this can be really horrible when it happens, but it is, it is kind of similar to what happens here. You know when someone's in the class has invited all their friends to a party, except one? You know, this seems to happen quite a bit. And, you know, and they're getting close to the day of the party and all the kids are talking about the party at school and they're, yeah, you know, we're going to go there. And, then, and then, then the poor kid who hasn't been invited comes up and then everyone like, they go sad for a sec you know, and all go all quiet. And then the kid walks off and everyone goes like, yeah, yeah the, the party. Well, it's like this, you know, like you imagine Thomas, like he's still showing up, right? He comes into the Christian community and, uh, and they're like, yeah, Jesus is alive. And did you see him? Oh, he said this and he did that. And oh, what's happening? He's told us to the, and everyone, you know, because you, imagine this, you, you just, you, your, your, your grief of Good Friday has been overwhelmed by this joy, Jesus is alive. And you can't, what else are you going to talk about? Oh, let's talk about the footy. No, <laughs> like this is so important. And, and, and they're talking about this and they're smiling and then, oh, then Thomas comes up and is like, oh no, all right. <laughs> Everyone trying to look sad and, and miserable and, and how are you doing, Thomas? And you're like, oh, I just miss Jesus. I don't know, you too. It's here, you know. And then Thomas walks on and everyone goes like, <laughs> and he turned back and like, you know, it must have been so awkward because Thomas is like, I am not with you guys. You guys have been sucked in. I'm... Thomas, and I'm rational, and I won't believe until I see. But then, the week later, and once again, the doors are locked, and once again, the Easter hope blazes in the middle of those locked doors. Jesus shows up, third time, he says, peace be with you. What was Thomas thinking at this point? But Jesus turns his eyes, and he looks at Thomas. And maybe we might think he's got eyes of judgment and condemnation. How dare you not believe? But Jesus is not that. He meets Thomas where he's at. And he says to Thomas, all right, come on, get your little pinky and put it in here and then put it in, come on, here we go. You know, but actually, um, one of the images we saw at the beginning of the service showed a renaissance of, of the guy with his hand right in Jesus' side. The Bible actually doesn't tell us that Thomas actually did that. We don't know if he did or not. But I suspect that when he saw Jesus in front of him, he was like, okay, I'm going to drop that condition now. Um, wow. We know certainly what happens. His skepticism is overcome. The river of doubts becomes a tsunami of faith. And then Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas gives us the most profound statement of belief in the entire Gospels. Bar none. It's more than Peter or, or John and any of the others. Thomas, once his doubts have been confronted by evidence, he says this, my Lord and my God. The words he uses are Yahweh, the God of all creation, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looks at the risen Jesus and he goes, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him or rebuke him. Jesus actually says to him, you're right. And we'll see in a moment what he says. 
in detail. But one of, if, you want, if you want proof of the resurrection of Jesus, I think this is one of the most powerful things. Thomas the doubter, Thomas the skeptic, meets Jesus, and what then happens with the rest of his life is powerful proof for the truth of the resurrection. You know why? Because Thomas, like all of the other apostles, spends the next decades of his life moving around the world, telling people about the truth that Jesus was resurrected. And you might say, how's that proof? Well, the proof is that all bar one of them, being John, were executed for refusing to deny that Jesus was alive. Now, how can you explain the change in time? If he knew it was a fabrication, and he was part of the plot to fake this, is he gonna go and, and accept death for something that he knows is a lie? Yeah, I mean, people, all, they, every day it happens, people believe a lie to be true and they'll die for it. They'll die for a lie because they, they believe it's the truth. But who will die for something that they know is a lie? And whatever anyone else might have had, Thomas knew it was a lie. If Jesus hadn't been resurrected, he knew it was a fake. But Thomas with the others goes, in fact, Thomas... 29 years later, we'll go all the way to India. Thomas will go to a place called Chennai, near Chennai. And 29 years after this, Thomas will be executed for refusing to believe, or refusing to deny that Jesus was alive. How do you, that is historically verifiable. The fact that these men who were defeated, hopeless bunch, then went around the world and and, and preached the gospel for decades and were killed for it is historically verifiable. How do you explain it if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? How, do you, how can you explain it? You can't. Uh, this, when I became a Christian, this was one of the most powerful evidences for me, the fact that you cannot explain what happened to the disciples unless Jesus actually was alive. It's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, to quote Sherlock Holmes, uh, he says... When you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. All right. Thomas's example teaches that the evidence for belief in a risen Jesus is strong. And that while doubt is good, it's normal, it shouldn't cripple us. Um, I remember vividly when I went to theological study to um, study Bible college, you know, to study to become a minister. I was, uh, a number of times during those three years, I ended up in the fetal position in the, in the college library on the floor, you know, with the book in front of me. I, I'm not joking, at least twice. And the reason was because I'd been reading the skeptics and all oh, they're clever. I've been reading the, the atheists. I'd been reading the, the Christian extreme liberals who deny, deny everything. And I'm reading them going like, that is so persuasive. They are so smart. And, and I'm called, curled up in a ball going like, oh no, Andrew Grills has got a doubt. The whole of Christianity is shaking and falling and collapsing. And so centered. I mean, how can it? It's all about me. But reading these things and they're clever, they're sharp. And then, and then thinking, I, I, I think I've been sucked in. That's such a clever argument. I've never seen that before. And, it's, and then, you know what? Sometimes that, that state of doubt would last a day or two and then I'd read something else or I'd have another conversation or I'd read something in the scriptures and it would be like a kid seeing through a magician's trick. I'm like, oh, oh it's so obvious. Why didn't I see that? You, you, you had me fooled. 
but now I see it's, it's just a sleight of hand. My faith is not, is not shaken, it's not rocked, it's, it's just, you know, I was, I was tossed by the winds a little bit, but what it's done is made the roots of my tree go deeper. Because this is evidence, this is fact, this is something that you can commit your life to. Jesus rose from the dead is historically very, very compelling. And if you deny it, well, how do you explain what happened? I'd love to see someone try, there's lots of ways, or they faked it, or Jesus wasn't really dead, or they stole the body. None of it fits. None of it is an adequate explanatory tool. Jesus says to me and to you what he said to Thomas, stop doubting, start believing. But as I start to, to wind up here, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Thomas was the doubter until he saw the risen, resurrected Jesus and had the opportunity to to see and to touch. I'm not going to get that. That's not available to me. So it's fine for you, Thomas. You saw Jesus and the rest of the apostles. I don't know many people. I've only met, I think, very, very few people in my years as a Christian who have actually seen Jesus in that way. Very, very few of us will have that opportunity this side of heaven. And you know what? Jesus actually recognizes this. So, so when Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, yes, that's right. And he says these words, he says, you have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus acknowledges that it's harder for us than it was for them. But, and this is important, what persuaded Thomas of the truth of the resurrected Jesus? Number one, his eyes. Number two, his experience. He saw Jesus and he experienced Jesus. And you know what? We still have the same opportunity for faith as he did. Not identical, but very much the same. Let me explain to you. Firstly, Thomas believed because he saw with his own eyes. He had eyewitness that Jesus was alive. You and I also have eyewitness reports that Jesus is alive. So... um, how many here of you have actually seen George Washington with your own eyes? Anybody? Some of you are pretty old, but I don't think you're going to make that. Um, none of us. I've never seen George Washington with my own eyes. Um, how many of you here would say, oh, I, I'm absolutely persuaded that George Washington signed the American Declaration of Independence? I certainly would. Now, h- how do you know he signed that Declaration of Independence? You weren't there. The only way you know is because eyewitness accounts recorded it and they sent it through posterity and history. And you and I will say, Thomas, uh, George Washington signed the Declaration of Independence because people saw it and recorded it. I mean, what are you saying? Of course he signed it. Well, in many ways, we have that same thing. I've never seen Jesus, but I know that he was resurrected. How? Because of eyewitness accounts. Uh, The Bible records four different eyewitness accounts in the four Gospels. They're written so that each of us would see and and be able to record the eyewitness accounts for ourselves. Um, That's why Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, we saw it, we recorded it so that you might read it and assess it, the evidence, and believe it. Um, One scholar writes this, he says, Of course, we can disagree with what these eyewitnesses wrote. We can say that they were deluded, 
But what we cannot say is that they were merely myths and legends detached from historical realities that lay behind them. Seeing it, eyewitness accounts. You and I have the eyewitness accounts in the scriptures. Secondly, Thomas experienced Jesus, and you and I can too. And he said, Well, I I haven't seen him and touched him, experienced his presence, and yet. The truth of the Christian gospel is that over 2,000 years, millions upon millions of people have experienced personally the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. Not just by looking at evidence and and reading and, and things, but by personal experience of the resurrected Jesus, coming to live within them, changing their lives. I've had that experience. If you're a Christian here today, you've had that experience, and there are Millions of people today around the world who right throughout this day will be falling on their knees and still saying, my Lord and my God, because of the evidence and because of the experience of Jesus Christ alive. All right, let's conclude. Thomas lived in a world of skepticism and doubt. They put Jesus to the death by crucifixion. They were not favorable towards the news that he was alive again. You and I live in a world of skepticism and doubt. Um, Becoming a Christian is not an easy thing to do. It may have been 50 or 60 years ago, you could follow along with everybody else. Today, if you become a Christian, you'll be going directly against society. You'll be mocked, uh, you'll be laughed at, you may even be persecuted in some ways. It's very hard to become and to remain a Christian today. Uh, We live in in a post-Christian country of Australia where where belief is mocked as intellectual suicide, where trust in Jesus resurrected from the dead is viewed as something that is archaic, your grandparents, the others. Why would you, totally irrelevant. Actually, this is not the case in the world as a whole. I don't know if you know this, but today um, there are 2.5 billion people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, What's going to happen in the next 25 years to that 2.5 billion? You'd say, well, I mean, no one believes anymore, so it's going to be shrinking like it is in Australia. Now, actually, all the projections are in 25 years, it will rise by almost another billion people. 3.3 billion people. And you say, what's happened to atheists? Well, they're growing all the time. No, they're not. In 1970, there were 147 million atheists. Today, Sorry, there were 165 million atheists in 1970. Today, there's 147 million. It's shrinking across the world. Now, we in Australia don't feel that, but it's true. So when when Jesus told Thomas, do not doubt but believe, you have evidence. You have the evidence of, of your eyewitness accounts, you have the evidence of the experience of Jesus, you have the evidence of of the, the Gospels recording this. Jesus is not dead, he is alive. He is alive, and as I said to you earlier, Thomas knew that if that's true, it would change everything. And this morning, if you say to me, Jesus is alive, then it must change everything. If you're a Christian, you cannot live as if this is not true. If you say you believe this, it has to change everything. And if you are not a Christian, and you're online today, or you're gathered with us to worship, you're so welcome, but I want you to go out from today asking those questions, is this true? Is what Christians proclaim actually true? Because if it is, if Jesus is indeed alive, and he is available now, and he's reaching out to you now, then you need to listen to his voice. You need to respond, and you can. 
as Thomas experienced, Jesus came to him and met him in his doubts and then brought him into faith. And whether you know Jesus and known him for a long time or you are inquiring, wondering, the same Jesus opens his arms and wants you to come and know him. In Jesus is life. The life that's come into the world, that's conquered death and that transforms our lives too. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning and I hope that you are encouraged. Doubt, yes. Doubts are normal. Doubts are even good, but doubts lead in a destination. And I'd love you to be like Thomas and that destination be at the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Our musician's gonna come up. Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that although Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is noble and it's crucial and it's vital and it's important and it's, it's overwhelmingly wonderful, yet so too is the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb. We thank you that that confirms the truth of everything Jesus taught. It confirms the... the um, the efficient or the efficacy of the sacrifice Jesus made. We thank you, Lord, that the risen, resurrected Jesus is the one that sends us into the world with this wonderful news. And so, Lord, today, as your people, as we gather here, we pray that our hearts would be refreshed and filled with hope. And, Lord, for those who doubt, for those who wonder, for those who wrestle, Lord, I pray that you would come close to them as you did to Thomas long ago. And we pray these things with joyful hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.